0: Wave those palms and sing Hosanna Clap your hands Exalt his name and sing Salvation is here Raise your arms Wave your palms and sing So, in uh, two weeks' time uh, we are going to be launching a new bilingual congregation in Rochester Yay! And dos domingos, lanzaremos en una nueva congresión bilingue in Rochester. Ole! Uh, We don't know how it will go. We haven't got it all figured out. We do know there'll be food. That's a good thing. But we're doing it in faith because we believe that God uh, spoke to us about this been praying into this for about a year actually we waited for a while we held back for a while uh, because we just wanted to see if this was really what the Lord wanted and we still sense that witness of the Holy Spirit that this was to be one of the five fruit trees that God spoke to us about and so for those of you who are new here let me just explain that So, last year, Sam Poe, Sam Poe and uh, I and our wives, we were hosting a a prophetic conference in Nashville, and one of the leaders there brought this word to us that uh, he believed God was saying he was going to plant five fruit trees in our backyard. And both Sam and I immediately felt it was talking about five congregations, and If you know anything about fruit trees, you'll know that you get better fruit and actually better quality fruit from having several smaller fruit trees than one big fruit tree. And so uh, we can still be one church, one orchard if you want, but uh, we're going to have multiple congregations, which means we can more effectively serve the cities here on the seacoast. Uh, We can still gather all together for celebrations like this, and when we get too much, we can get somewhere bigger to where we can gather for celebrations, but we believe that God has called us ultimately to go and to serve others. Uh, So that means Rochester next, and I'm looking forward to seeing what delicious fruit uh, comes from that. Amen. So after this message, we're going to have all the people involved in Rochester come out. We're going to just pray over them as we commission them to this work, which will start the week after Easter. But I want us to be clear that we're doing this because we believe that this is God's will. Okay? We're responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit rather than just following the ways of man. And That's why we're not asking ourselves what will get us the best results. Or what, uh, would, what church would best meet my needs, my preferences? Rather, we're saying, Lord, what do you want? What do you want, Lord? And that's what the leaders of this church are asking. What is your will, Lord? doesn't mean we'll always hear him perfectly. We do not always get it right, but it is what we're asking. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, not my will, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But what we have to understand is when we pray that prayer, as Jesus taught us, it will involve change. It will involve transition, maybe discomfort even. You know, for us it means multiplication. Because one of the answers to that prayer is Jesus responding by saying, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her, which means he intends for his church to grow as it advances against the gates of hell into enemy-occupied territory, right? It means if we're following Jesus, then we cannot settle or grow comfortable because he's on the move. He's on a mission to seek and to save the lost, So, if you are here this morning, you're thinking about joining our church, you need to know that, all right? It won't always be comfortable. It's not why we're here. We're here to do the will of God. And there's a cost to that. You know, it might mean leaving some things behind. It might mean saying goodbye to some people. There's a cost to such a a large group being sent out to Rochester from our Summersworth congregation, right? It means maybe not seeing certain people as much as we used to, where relationships have been built over this time. It it will mean uh, being ready to welcome in, we hope, new people who are coming to take their place. It might leave some gaps where people are needed to serve. It was the same when we said goodbye to Alka and Bev Mayers, Remember them? When we sent them out to be part of a church planting team in the Netherlands, or when we sent out Daniel and Natalie to Oman, or Dave and Anna to Turkey, right, it's where they've been now for almost 12 years, all right, 13, is it? Thank you. Right, we miss them. It's like when your kids grow up and they leave home, it can be emotional, right? I shed a tear when my daughter left home these are family to us. For some of you, they're your actual family. (laughs) But actually, the whole church is a family. And so we feel it. That's why in Acts 20, the Ephesian elders wept when they said goodbye to the apostle Paul, because they said they wouldn't see his face anymore. Thank goodness we have Zoom today. I know when Emma and I left the UK 20 years ago, it was hard leaving family and friends. At first, you know, the thought of coming to America, you know, the land of Disney princesses and supersized burgers, it was exciting. It was an adventure. And Emma and I both independently felt God calling us here. But when the door finally opened and it became reality, that's when we counted the cost. The cost of moving countries with four children wasn't easy. 20 years later, there's still a cost. You know, I don't get to see my mum, who's in a care home in London with Alzheimer's. Emma was the only one in her family who couldn't go to her dad's funeral because of dying during Covid. And at those times, you know, I'm reminded of a poem. It's a poem I heard during a gathering of New Frontiers churches in the UK, and God really spoke to me through it. You know, it's one of those moments where you say to God, here I am, Lord, send me, have your way in me. And it's remained with me ever since. Uh, In fact, I bought the book of poetry uh, that it's from, and it's a poet called Ulrich Schaefer. Let me read the poem to you. we have got it up here. I'm persuaded by the dandelion to take the wings of the updrift, to parachute into enemy country, to fall to the ground, to be walked on, to lose beauty, to die, and so to give birth to a whole generation of flyers. Two years later, I was in a pastor's prayer gathering where someone had a vision of a whole field of dandelions. At that time, all of our churches used to gather once a year in a field. We used to camp in a field uh, for an annual festival of worship and teaching. And in this man's vision, the field turned white as the dandelions turned to seed. And then suddenly, the wind blew caught up all these seeds into the air carrying them far and wide and that prophetic vision came true because it was the last festival we ever had in that field there's hundreds of people moving going all over the country all over the world including emma and i we moved that next year but you know this poem is not just for me this is what god intends for every one of us here We've all been called by God for a purpose. We've all been appointed to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And that may take us across the room. It may take us across the street. It may take us across the country. Or it may take us across the world, wherever the Holy Spirit may lead us. But it will certainly mean dying, as the poem says. How do we know that? Well, because it's not just a poem, is it? This is echoing the words of Jesus, the words that Jesus said for every one of us. And so let's now read what Jesus actually said and see how it applies to our lives. And it took place when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, on Palm Sunday, what we've been celebrating here this morning when the crowd came to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, please save now. And in John's gospel, this is what Jesus said right after he entered Jerusalem. Let's read it here. In John 12:23. he said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, Jesus said these words uh, when he heard that some people from other nations, some Greeks, were wanting to see him. And up until this point, if you read through John's Gospel, you'll see that um, we keep hearing the hour had not yet come. Jesus's hour had not yet come, the hour when he was going to suffer and die. And it's like the beating of a drum in John's Gospel. The hour had not yet come. The hour has not yet come. And each beat is another step closer to Jerusalem and his crucifixion. And then as he enters Jerusalem, to the cries of the crowd saying, save, and people from other nations seeking after him, it's like the clock strikes 12. And he says, the hour has now come. And we expect him to say, the hour has come for me to be crucified. But surprisingly, he doesn't. It says, the hour has come for me to be glorified. And you think, well, how can there be glory in crucifixion? It's like saying someone's uh, being enthroned in an electric chair, you know? It sounds wrong, doesn't it? And yet Jesus makes it clear that through his death there would be glory. The death for Jesus was a pathway to glory because it would lead to resurrection where he triumphed over all the powers of darkness and then ascended to the right hand of his Father in glory. But you see, the cross wasn't just a pathway for Jesus. It's for everyone who will follow him. People from all different nations, including those Greeks, could now get a share in his glory. How can that be? How can that be? Well, Jesus explains it here by using a very simple image from agriculture That everyone would have understood. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A grain of wheat dies when it's stripped from the head of the wheat and then sown into the ground. But that seed's death and burial then results in germination, the germination of life which produces a harvest. And in Jesus' day, farmers would drop that seed into the ground one grain at a time. And amazingly, they still do today in places like Nebraska uh, or Kansas, the breadbasket of America. Now you've got great big revolving machinery and a grain drill that will drop the seeds into the trench one at a time. And the amazing thing about that, the remarkable thing about that, is not that a dead seed can generate life. As that shoot then begins to appear, the seed germinating in the ground, putting down roots, the shoot coming up. It's not that it generates life, but it generates so much life. You know, farmers, they'll sow uh, about two bushels of, of, of grain in, per acre, but they'll reap 40 bushels, right? Enough to feed, I don't know how many people, 3,600 loaves of bread that produces. In the same way, Jesus was like a single grain of wheat that fell to the ground and died. And from his death and burial came the resurrection, with power to feed whole nations with the bread of life. And that's where we see the glory, isn't it? That from his death has come life, eternal life for all who believe. And ever since, Over the last 2,000 years, that single seed that fell to the ground has been reaping a spiritual harvest. Multitudes of souls who will one day be resurrected with him in glory. Even today, an estimated 120,000 people around the world will receive new life in Christ. Today, today, 120,000 people will receive new life in Christ. His resurrection life is at work, germinating in even the darkest places. In fact, I just uh, got a voice uh, mail from uh, Anna Linden in Turkey this morning, saying about the remarkable things that God is doing in the midst of devastation, in the midst of so much suffering. Uh, And she's there with others uh, in a camp serving the people who are homeless and feeding them and, and helping them. And she was just saying, you know, it's amazing to see what God is doing in the midst of that uh, tragedy, uh, as people who are being served, Turks from these towns and villages, uh, she says, are just encountering the love of Christ in those who are serving them. In fact, even uh some of the helpers Those who have come from overseas or from around the nation are themselves encountering Christ. Those who don't know Jesus yet, who are serving alongside. She said, one lady couldn't stop weeping. And she said, I've never encountered, I've never experienced such pure love. The love of these Christians who are serving. She said, it's like they've been reborn. And Anna said, well, actually, But that's where we see the glory, isn't it? But here's the thing: it's a glory that he wants to share with us, right? He isn't going to reap the whole harvest without dropping a lot of other seeds into the earth as well. And that's the disturbing thing that Jesus is implying here, right? That he would not be dying alone. It's not like Jesus just takes care of the dying part and we show up for the resurrection. If we're going to share in his glory, it involves us dying as well. Jesus made that clear with this principle of the seed falling to the ground and dying. That it didn't just apply to himself, but to all who would follow him. Let's read again what it says there. He said, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world, not talking there about self-hatred, but being prepared to give self away, will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servants be also. So, following Jesus means we have to fall to the ground and die with him, which is why the Christian life starts with a burial service in baptism. Right? The first step in following Jesus is to be baptized in water. Being immersed in the water symbolizes dying and being buried with christ that's why we don't baptize infants because in the bible baptism is linked to repentance and it's us consciously turning away from living for ourselves and turning to live for christ so it means you need to be old enough to know what you're doing self is crucified with him left buried in that watery grave And then as we're raised up out of the water, it symbolizes the resurrection, right? That we've been raised with him to live a new life. The old has now gone, the new has come because Christ lives in us now. We're not living for ourselves anymore, we're living for him. So let me ask you this morning, is it your desire to follow Jesus? Because you cannot follow after him unless you die with him. You cannot follow after him unless you die with him. And maybe you made that commitment years ago when you invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior. But have you buried the old man yet? The old woman. You can't just leave the old corpse lying around to be tripping over. He needs to be given a proper burial. That's what baptism is. We bury that old person in that grave. So Jesus bids us come and die with him. Is it your desire to follow Jesus? Have you been baptized yet as a believer? This Good Friday, we're going to be baptizing people. What better time to be baptizing than the time when Jesus himself was crucified? Who will join with him this Good Friday? Is there anyone here? Come and talk to me afterwards if you want to be baptized on Good Friday. All right? All right. We die so that we might rise and share in his glory and experience his resurrection life. But listen, baptism is just the starting point. For anyone following Jesus, there is a daily application of this truth. Listen to what it says in Luke's Gospel. It says, if anyone, say anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Saying the same thing, isn't he? As we saw in John's gospel. He's talking about dying to self. You know, if you saw a man carrying a cross in Jesus' day, it only meant one thing he was going to be executed, he was going to die. And so Jesus is saying that's what needs to happen to us spiritually speaking. And it means denying self, he says. You know, we die to self. We act like self no longer exists. And we're to do that on a daily basis. Which is hard for us to hear, isn't it? Isn't it? Especially in our our culture where self is celebrated. Where we continually... Are encouraged to think about self, Self self-care, self-love, self-image, and so on. People are obsessed with self. Right? Think about the phenomenon. You know that is the selfie. Anyone not taking a selfie? Let's just get one right now. Give me a wave, everyone. Here we go. Why do we do that? because we want to be at the center of the picture, right? We put ourselves at the center of the universe. And then we wonder why we're not fulfilled, why we're not happy, why we're not content. Because you see, when we're just so focused on ourselves, our world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Right? best thing we can do is get the focus off of ourselves and on to one who is undeniably greater than us who is infinitely more beautiful and glorious right we need to get over ourselves and make him our magnificent obsession the one who is truly at the center of the universe the one who created the universe the one who created you and i this is what it says in colossians 1 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things and in him all things hold together. It's in Christ that we find the reason for our existence. But the only way we can discover that is by getting self out of the way. Self has to go. Self has to die so that we can live for him, so that he can be our all in all. You know, we tend to think of dying to self as this negative thing, don't we? But actually, it's not. It's a really positive thing because it's life-giving. Jesus said it's only when we lose our lives that we find them. It's only by dying to self that we discover the life that we were created for the fullness of life that Jesus died to give us. It's why the great preacher, um, Pastor C.H. Spurgeon, said this. He said, I have now concentrated all my prayers into one, that I may die to self and live wholly to him. Actually, it's only by dying to self that we can live for Christ. It's only by dying to self that we can truly live for Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20 says this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, for Paul, self had ceased to exist. Self was no longer in the picture. He used to be proud of his resume. You read Philippians 2. He says to the Philippians, no, it's rubbish now. That's all rubbish. No more selfies for Paul. It's all about Jesus now. Christ living in him and through him. Christ was why he existed, which I would suggest is why the Apostle Paul was one of the most influential Christians in history. And yet, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. I die daily. You see, it's something we have to do consciously every day. We die to self daily so that the life of Christ might grow in us and bear fruit. And that, folks, is really what we've been created for, to live fruitful lives in Christ. As Jesus said there, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. It's useless it's fruitless. But if it dies, he says, it bears much fruit. And a little later on, he repeats that in uh, John 15 verse 8. Here it is. It says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, this is what we've been created for, to bring glory to God by bearing much fruit. But it means not living for self, And remaining alone, but giving self away, like that seed, so that we will reproduce ourselves many times over, so that there might be a whole new generation of flyers. So, bring this into land. All right, how do we die to self? It starts with the prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, the prayer he prayed in the in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did Jesus pray? Not my will, but your will be done. If we're going to follow Jesus, then that has to be our prayer too. Not my will, but your will be done. Can you say that? Can you honestly say that? Lord, whatever you say, wherever that may take me, whatever that means for me, not my will, your will be done. Can you say that, truly? I know it sounds scary, but actually it's only scary when self is alive and well. If you can say, like Paul, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me now, then actually it's the only logical prayer, isn't it? Not my will, but your will be done. See, that has to be the posture of our hearts. That's the attitude we start with. It's an attitude of surrender, of submission. And what is his will? You know, when we pray, Lord, have your way in me, what does that look like? What does he want to do? Well, surely we find the answer by looking at his life, don't we? As Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, my servant will be. So what was it that Jesus did that he wants us to follow him in? If Christ lives in me, what does he want to do through me? And Again, surely the answer has to be serving others. Right? Jesus said the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many so one of the main ways that we die to self and live for Christ is by serving others, lo- loving others, considering the needs of others, putting other it- people's interests first. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what we read in Philippians 2. Let's just read that together. It says, He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place. The pathway to glory was through giving his life away for the sake of others, and it's the same for us, right? Paul was emphatic when he said, let this attitude be in you. And what does that attitude look like in us? Well, he says earlier on in Philippians 2, he says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, no self-interest. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see, it's all about serving others. That is why we're here. Why are we starting a new congregation in Rochester so it would be more convenient for our members who live there? No, we're doing it for the others, for the people of Rochester who don't know Jesus yet. It would be a whole lot easier to have everyone just come here every week. You can get to hear me preaching every week. But you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my ministry. It's not about you but how can we be a blessing to others? And if that's our attitude, we will bear fruit because we're dying to self and we're living for Christ. Right? Whenever we give up our time to help someone else, we're denying self and living for Christ. All of you here today who serve at Gosling Meadows or at Act 2 or Lydia's House of Hope or by making a meal for someone, or the many other ways that you serve other people. Every time you do that, you are denying self and living for Christ. Whenever you give money to the work of God, or to help the needy, rather than spending it on yourself, you are denying self and living for Christ. Whenever you take the time to pray for someone, pray for the sick, Pray for the lust. Pray for your own family. You're dying to self and living for Christ. When you forgive someone who has wronged you and you pray for their blessing, you're dying to self and living for Christ. When you do good to someone who has hurt you and repay good for evil, you're dying to self and living for Christ. All those who are serving our children right now, all those who came in early this morning to make coffee for us, to lead us in worship, to welcome us at the door, they're dying to self and living for Christ. I wonder how many of us here got up this morning thinking, who can I encourage at church today? Lord, who can I bless today? Holy Spirit, you give gifts through each one to build up the body will you give me a gift this morning will you use me this morning to encourage to strengthen to bless someone lord lead me today i wonder how many prayed that when they got up this morning or did we get up whether wondering whether we would enjoy church today i wonder how long the sermon will be i wonder if the worship would be to my taste I wonder if there's any desserts out there that I might like. You see, when we come thinking about others, we're not living for self, we're living for Christ. Because that's what he is thinking. That's what he's wanting to do through us. So when we agree with him, we're showing ourselves to be his disciples. And we will bear fruit. We will see him at work. As Anna is right now. Out in Turkey. Hands up if you want to see Jesus at work, if you want to see miracles, you want to see healings and so on. Well, start praying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, will you use me today to serve others? Lead me by your Spirit. If you want to discover the secret of exercising spiritual gifts and seeing God move in power, then start by asking God, how can I serve others? That is the pathway to seeing God's glory manifested. It's dying to self, living for Christ as we give ourselves away for the sake of others. That's when we start to experience the fullness of life and the joy that Jesus promised to those who will follow him. So, if I can conclude, our lives are like a grain of wheat, a single seed. We only get one. One life, one opportunity. What will you do with your seed? See, it's not meant to be held onto, grasped, preserved, protected, hidden away. It's meant to be released, sown, scattered, planted buried. If we hold on to it, it will just wither. It will just crumble. If we give it away, it will produce life. Not just in the seed itself, life will germinate in that seed, but also in the harvest that it will reap a whole new generation of flies. Amen? Let's just read our text one more time as we close. I'm going to read it now for the message translation. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. Let's pray. Let's just pray. Thank you, Jesus, that the reason why we can be reckless in our love for others is because of how you first loved us. Lord, it's because of what you did for us that you Jesus, we're prepared to fall to the ground, to be trodden on, to lose beauty, and to die. And you did it for us so that we might receive eternal life in you. Thank you, Lord. And now just with our heads bowed, will you respond to him today? Will you say, even now, Lord, have your way in me? Will you surrender to him this morning? And say, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, have your way in me, Lord. Just tell him now. Help us, Lord, we pray. And again, as we've got our heads bowed here, there are people here this morning who Jesus is calling to follow him. Maybe you had some belief in him up until now, or, Maybe faith has been stirred in you for the first time this morning, but you've never truly surrendered your life to him. And he's calling you today to come and die with him. To die to self and live for him. To invite him to come and live in you. To say to him, not my will, but your will be done. And if that's you, if you want to say yes to Jesus today... And you're prepared to identify with him through baptism. Just while we've got our heads back, just raise your hand. Just indicate now if that is you. Thank you. Just raise your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus in that way this morning. This is where you count the cost. Now, you can hold on to your life and ultimately lose it. Or you can give it to him and find the life you were created for, eternal life in him. Just raise your hand if that's what you want. Thank you. Amen. Just for anyone then who wants that this morning, perhaps you could just pray after me in your heart. Just pray these words and make them your own. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me so I could have life. I repent of living for myself. Please forgive me. Lord, I surrender myself to you now. I put my trust in you, in your death and resurrection. Please come and live in me and help me to live for you today. Amen. Amen. Lord, I pray for us as individuals and as a church this morning that we will bear much fruit for your glory. Lord, I pray that from the seed that is sown by this church, there will come new generations of believers who will be willing to go and lay down their lives in the service of others. Lord, we pray for a great harvest in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.